don't matter. Yesterday, it's gone. And today is here, and you are listening to Music Biz 101 More on Brave New Radio WPSC on the campus of William Patterson, the university that has been The World is Ours by the Allie Mack Project. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, saying to you, hello. And of course, we are here with the good, wonderful, incredible Dr. Esteban. Marconi. Dr. Marconi is like tremendous. the radio. I feel so good. Boy, I haven't seen you radio. since Monday when we did a special show that will be aired in the future. Oh, should we talk about Monday? We yes, for really 10 seconds. Monday. Uh, Monday, we had a tremendous event. It was sponsored by our music and entertainment organization on campus called MIO. And uh, it was called Music Biz 101 and More Live, and it was a networking and discussion panel. And we had Paul Sinclair from Atlantic Records, Josh Bernstein from Alternative uh, Alt Press Magazine. We had Rob Fusari, who's won Grammys, an alum, Joanne Kelsey, who uh, in publishing, she's an alum. And, of course, we had our, our superhero attorney guest, who's going to be here tonight, Carl Guthrie. Yes. And this was a tremendous panel. And we had about how many people, would you say? Mio said they had uh, 130 people sign up. Wow. That might wow. be the event of the year, Bianca. It might win the SGA event of the year. Of course, he's talking to Bianca Russo, who is our producer in residence for the evening. Bianca Russo, in residence. Producer right. in residence, yes. She doesn't good. have a mic. No, she doesn't, which is a good thing we do. Dave has two. <laughs> Wait, oh, I can hear myself in stereo. So it's Music Biz 101 more every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. on Brave New Radio. And our resident photographer is with us tonight, finally. Yay. Geneva Gamblin, MBA in music management. You're you're this close to getting it, aren't you? I'm so close. December. December. Wow. So and close. She's at, what do you do during the day? During the day, I uh, intern at Atlantic Records uh-huh. in digital under Paul Sinclair, who was at that awesome panel that I also attended. Great. So what did you think of the panel? Why don't you give us a little? I thought it was awesome. Idea. It was a great networking opportunity. I got to meet other MBA students, other undergrad students, just people in the industry. It was good. It was awesome. Good. Now, how yeah. many times a week might you see Julie Greenwald? Uh, I get to see her three times a week. Wow. <laughs> how, how come? Why, just walking in the hall? Walking or? in the halls. Occasionally, I get stopped to grab her coffee. So mm-hmm. it's it's fun. It's good. Oh, good. Uh-huh. That's, that's great. Yeah. Great. Is the goal when you graduate in December to hopefully get a job at Atlantic? Is that Fingers a possibility? Fingers crossed. That's, yeah. that's my goal. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's their goal, but it's what I'm striving <laughs> <Right>. for. <laughs> Well, well, that's great. And, and that's we a- should uh, sort of say why we said resident photographer. <laughs> can I get right. Can I get yeah. credit? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm the one that takes the pictures that you guys see for uh, music biz at the end. Yes, on the newsletter. That's when right. I'm here, because there are sometimes when I'm not. Yeah. Very rarely she's not here. But after every show, we get our, our family photo, and Geneva's the one who takes the picture. Yeah. So it'll be weird tonight when you're in the picture and not taking the I picture. Know. Right. Maybe it, we should like not have me in it, just keep that going. You're, you're, you're too no, important. No. You've got no, to be in important. it. Because Geneva is rocking this sort of purple yes. fuchsia it's, uh, hair. It needs yeah. to be seen. You've got to see this yeah. hair in the next newsletter. Yeah, you're going to love it. And then uh, Marconi's thinking about doing the same thing for his loss. Yes, actually for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So uh, before we get to the super guest of the night, uh, again, thanks to Bianca Russo, who's producing us tonight. Uh, and then thanks to Geneva for being here. She's going to be read all. She's going to read all of the tweet questions we have, which we have quite a few. And we're going to spend a lot of time reading tweets tonight. But uh, musicbiz101wp.com is where you can find us. This is available on a podcast if you're hearing this not live at the moment today. And you're finding it on Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and also iTunes. And always follow us if you like, at MusicBiz101WP, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And sign up for our newsletter at our website, MusicBiz101WP.com. And we should thank the Music Biz Association right away. Yes. Uh, Music Biz Association, you should save the date. If you are listening to this before May 16th, 2016, then save the date. And on May 16th, 2016, go to with Music Biz to Music Biz in the Music City because we will be with a bunch of students interviewing industry, industry pros, making connections with the Music Biz Convention in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And we're leaving here sometime around the 14th or 15th of May, coming back on the 20th, and we're going to spend the whole time recording uh, shows, meeting people, more a lot more networking is going to be. Are we awesome going event. by bus? We may go by bu- we might bu- bus. Go, we might go by a van. We may rent a van. We have a van. class who's actually working out how much this is going to cost and how we can do this. Yeah. What do you mean we? 
Steve Marconi is I going to fly first class, <laughs> no. and uh, I'm going to accompany Bianca Russo and, and her band of merry warriors who are into the biz, and we're all going to uh, ride bikes or something. But, uh, leave a few days ahead of time. Yes, yes. Leave yourself time now. And because of our connection with Warner, we're actually going to hook up and probably visit with Warner Nashville while mm-hmm. we're out there. Yep. Um, somebody else uh, was telling me that we should uh, visit them. I think it was we might visit CSAC. We might visit exactly. uh, another Our publisher. Yep. Yeah, so a number of things uh, that we're going to do besides interviewing people. So it's going to be great. But enough of that. Why don't we talk about our super introduce to super guests? popular demand. Second time on the show. That's right. God, we always get these legal questions. And now's your time to tweet in legal questions because we have Carl Guthrie, Esquire, and, as we know, Professor Carl Guthrie, both here and Seton Hall. That's right, Seton Hall Law School. And he's a longtime friend, and he's been with the department for a number of years. 25 plus. We're going to date each other. Carl yeah. Guthrie's here. Carl yes. Guthrie's here. So get your questions Dr. K. Ready. Great. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted with my no, no. Because he that's Carl with a K, so I okay. Into the Mets thing and the doctor. Right. Okay. All right. Please ask him a question. Twenty-five years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll ask you a real I'm being question. Being modest. <laughs> I, yeah. Something I think we could jump right into, okay. and that's uh, last week the um, managers, personal managers association in Great Britain, were saying uh, in a survey, which was a quite a long survey. But they were saying that about one-third of them still can't understand the streaming revenue stream and, in other words, how, how they're getting paid and, and what percentage. And I think there was a, a good number of them, probably over 20%, that said they can't even find digital in the record contracts that they're signing. You find any of that in, uh, in America when you look at today's contracts? Well, yes, we've gone through quite a, a transition in terms of what appears in contracts, mm-hmm. uh, what traditionally appeared when the industry was primarily um, marketing, manufacturing, and promoting physical product. Mm-hmm. And as we transition to the digital age, uh, and we've gone through the, and are still in the midst of, to a significant extent, the uh, downloading, mm-hmm. uh, what we call permanent downloads. We also have seen that the the next step has been and is continuing to be streaming. Mm -hmm. And so the contracts, as with the laws as well, copyright laws and so forth, tend to lag behind the realities, Mm -hmm. uh, the practical realities in the field. So, yes, you'll find still some contracts that seem to be more oriented towards yesteryear in the physical uh, delivery of product and the uh, listing of royalties, record royalties, and so forth. Um, we did have a catch-all provision at one point uh, for licensing mm-hmm. of product, and the question uh, had had arisen whether whether a um, stream or a download was a license because you're not actually selling product, right? Or whether was it uh, to be treated as physical product being sold? Mm-hmm. And of course, companies tended to opt for the the uh, parallel to the record product mm-hmm. because the royalty was lower. Quite a bit lower. Quite a bit lower. Right. And so uh, w- w- what we call flat fee license income was actually 50-50. Mm-hmm. And so companies didn't want to face that um, that burden, financial burden. So it's much easier to treat it as uh, a record royalty would be treated for physical product. Right. Which is more in the teens, right. uh, 12 to 15 or 10 to 15 percent in that range. Exactly. Um, there was a, a case brought by Eminem, mm-hmm. um, Rick James too, I and think Rick James as well. And mm-hmm. uh, yes, uh, they, they, they sought the fifty percent um, revenue stream as a li- as a license, flat mm-hmm. fee license, as opposed to the sale of physical product. And at first, um, they lost, and then ultimately on appeal, federal court of appeals said they're right. Mm-hmm. Um, the contracts that were silent and didn't have provisions for downloading or streaming and so forth mm-hmm. could be treated as a flat fee license for fifty percent, mm. and so there was a, a quite that caused quite a stir around the industry, of course, and 
the, all the major rec companies said, we need to clarify in our contracts. Uh, we need to have going, great, going forward from that point, going, or, go, well, or they were going to go back and Well, re- well I, I'll tell you how they went back. Well, um, the companies realized that there would be class action suits around the industry because once all the artists became aware that they could get as much as 50% in contracts that didn't discuss uh, downloading or streaming and, and have a royalty specifically uh, allocated for that, uh, they said, well, what we better do is establish a pool, a settlement pool that will pay the artists. Mm-hmm. In, at our various companies. So we started seeing the settlements all over the country. I mean, and all over the industry, Warner's, uh, uh, Sony. The last uh, company to settle was uh, Universal. But in the process of doing that, they said, we'll give you a share that would be uh, equivalent to perhaps what you should have gotten had you had you received a higher royalty for streaming, but not 50%. percent mm. And we'll save you the expense of hiring lawyers and going through years of litigation. And so most of these uh, million-dollar pools, settlement pools, were accepted. And uh, as a matter of fact, there's some that are in the process of being sorted out right now, one one being universal. Mm-hmm. And they sent uh, the, the settlement papers around and uh, asked the artists if you um, want to be a part of it. And most most artists will join the pool because it's found money for them mm-hmm. and without the litigation, without all the expenses and so forth. So um, going forward, however, uh, the companies that realized in the legal departments at Business Affairs as well, they said, we need to have specific language in the contract that addresses everything from physical product, which still exists to some extent, to downloading, streaming. So now you'll see uh, provisions covering all of them in most of the the newly drafted contracts. Now, what about, and this totally goes on with what you're saying, yeah. a, a new service like YouTube Red, which yeah. debuts this week or something, um, is that considered uh, subscription streaming, just like other types? Or, you know, when a new service like that comes out, is yeah, that, that classified well, under a, a, something that's already... It, it's amazing the way the... Uh, the, the the industry works from the legal and business side. Usually when, when something happens in the market or or someone challenges uh, something and says, well, th- this should be handled as a stream or it should be handled as a download, um, it either goes to litigation or it goes to settlement. And all the companies are watching, all the biz- business and legal affairs departments are watching carefully, see what the outcome is, and they, then they have their own internal meetings and decide what, what do we want to do on our contracts. Usually, will, it will lead to, in litigation, it always leads to all the companies putting some provision in their contract. Mm-hmm. I remember when uh, sampling was really getting out of hand uh, at one point, and uh, Warner Brothers got sued for putting out an album before the sample clearances had been finalized. They had started to, to pursue it, but hadn't completed them, mm-hmm. uh, the, the clearances, and they lost a case badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, as a matter of fact, the judge started. Uh, the decision by saying thou shall not steal mm-hmm. and um, uh, required that all of the uh, product with the sample be pulled off shelves mm-hmm. by federal marshals. So sent a chill throughout the industry. And at that point, probably another nine or 10 pages worth of contract language started to appear in all the contracts around the industry in terms of all hurdles that you had to clear before you even thought about bringing a sample to a company in mm-hmm. terms of getting getting the actual written, executed, fully executed licenses and so forth. Mm-hmm. So this is the way it normally goes. So as you, as you pointed out, uh, Dave, as as we see a new format into the market or a new configuration, um, of course the companies are going to try to define it in such a way that it goes into the lower echelon of royalty-bearing mm-hmm. product. And ultimately um, they'll have a catch-all provision. A lot of times, a catch-all provision is for what we used to call new media. Yeah. And so the new media will automatically start out at a lower level. Mm-hmm. So they might say the new media will be paid at 80% mm-hmm. of what, what it otherwise would, would bear. And then we'll, we'll reevaluate it maybe every two or three years and upgrade you based on the way the industry is treating it as a whole at mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
they were doing that with CDs through 2000, That's right, they? absolutely. Which was a joke, because yeah, CDs was, came out in the 80s. They were calling it a, a new media, and it was right. uh, as old as could be. But right. it allowed them to pay at a, at a reduced rate yeah. for quite a, bit, a period of time. Now, getting back to that um, pool that we were mentioning, that million-dollar pool and so on. Yes. The, uh, something new to me, but I think it really— Multi-million-dollar pool, yes. Is, is <laughs> new to many people. Is what's this black box— pool they talk about oh yeah that's been around for a while actually overseas uh black box income yeah uh that that's that arises when and this happens quite a bit unfortunately uh you you have writers publishers or would-be claimants of music mm -hmm. that fail to register their claims within in europe used to be a three-year period of time so all the mo monies are collected uh for performances and so forth and they're put in what they call like a slush fund, black box. Mm -hmm. ASCAP and BMI have had these funds, these uh, slush funds or black box funds. Well, they, they didn't call them black box funds as they do, did in Europe. But after three years, you would lose the funds. Well, what would happen is that the societies and organizations would take those funds and allocate them amongst their membership mm -hmm. um, on a pro rata basis based right. on activity and the, and the relative proportion of income that – you were drawing from that society. So, right. But the actual owners uh, are uh, claimants or those who should have been claimants of the black box income are are, uh, lost. are, are out altogether. Mm -hmm. they're, they're permanently uh, dispossessed right. and cut off from that income. Right. So, there's a, but there's a separate black box for royalty, too. For example, like uh, advances that go to labels from, say, a Spotify. Oh, yeah. It's just an well, advance yeah, yeah. against future... Yeah. Yes. Uh, licenses, but so it's just a, a big chunk of money, say, going to Universal that's not allocated, allocated. against any particular stream. So there, uh, the the fear, the thought in the artist community is Universal will get say a ten million dollar advance and just keep it because it's it's not necessary or keep a large amount of that because yes. it's not, not necessarily going to any particular artist. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, the contracts have been addressing that for quite some time. Um, mm -hmm. When companies do huge catalog deals, they'll sell off a catalog or sell a portion of their catalog, whether it's publishing or remember years ago, CBS sold off CBS songs and so forth. Mm -hmm. The question is, or they do a foreign deal where they sell a foreign rights to a publishing catalog or masters, um, masters that they own. The question is, should an advance that they receive be allocated amongst those who have uh, some property or, or rights to works that are included in the catalog that sold off? Mm. And, Contracts normally, and, and this is something that uh, crafty legal departments come up with. They said, "Let's put a provision in a con in the contract that says if if the deal is just um, the catalog deal does not specifically refer to any one song, then you're not entitled to an, a portion of the advance." Mm -hmm. And they say they they they'll use a term like if it's not if your works are not specifically referable. Or mm -hmm. referred to in in the uh, catalog deal, well then uh, you're not entitled to a share of the advance, which is a tough position to be in. Mm -hmm. We find that uh, publishers in general, large and small, when they make those deals and take down a catalog advance or a large share and, and not share with the writers, it creates it creates a very very um, uneasy relationship and and it strains it can restrain the relationship with the artist or rather the writers. Mm -hmm. um, who have contributed mm -hmm. um, in a major way and not received anything. So very often uh, it may be that those writers can now go in and renegotiate their deal and, and receive a, sh a larger advance. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of, it's it, in a way it's, it's, it's an attempt to accommodate in part mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. the concerns that, well, the company just took down a large advance with um, many of my hit songs in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm still waiting for basic royalties and no due de no new deal or no new advances. So mm -hmm. companies will try to, to accommodate and, and um, work out a compromise by not giving the actual um, advance based on what, what they've received, but mm -hmm. work out a new deal for the artist. So the mm -hmm. artist deal might – that could be significant, though. The artist may have a deal that may um, 
increased by 150 to 200 percent in terms mm-hmm. of the advances mm-hmm. that they receive. Mm-hmm. But the companies are obviously in a position at that point to make those those new deals. Mm-hmm. Um, representation is important because a lot of times if you don't ask or you don't seek renegotiation, you'll never get it. Yeah, we can't stress enough that um, you don't sign before you uh, have guidance from an entertainment attorney, not someone who's a general yeah, practice attorney and does whatever real estate and um, family court or whatever. Yeah, uh, I, I analogize to uh, the medical field, and you wouldn't go to a uh, podiatrist for heart surgery. Yes, that's a good analogy. <laughs> exactly. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. 360 deals have been around now about 10 years or so. Yes. I think I guess they started with uh, Bronfman at, at Warner's, and he yes. was pushed at first. Now, do you see a change in the 360 deal over that 10 years? Uh, is it getting better for the artist, or is it just becoming fairer for both sides? Or Because the rap it got in the beginning, which I in class used to say too, <coughs> was that a record company would say, we don't know how to sell records anymore, and we're giving you a advance, so we got to take money from a lot of places to get our money back to make up that bottom line, right? That we're because we can't receiving. do our job anymore. We can't sell records because yeah. you guys steal them. Well, you know, uh, there was a time during the glory years and in, in days of the the record business that physical product created quite a profit center for the record labels. Sure, and the contracts were typically balanced um, more or, or tip more in favor of the the companies so that they could retain. A large, a larger share of the profits and so forth than the artists could. So, as the physical product started to wane and the profits started to disappear, and of course, the the industry, the record industry, underestimated the the power of downloading and the technological changes that were going on, mm-hmm. uh, file sharing and so forth. Uh, the profits started to dwindle on the physical side, and at this point, records. Uh, physical records is no longer profit center, realistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, the term record label is becoming a misnomer. Yeah. And, and companies are realizing we've got to uh, move aggressively in every area where income is being earned and revenues are increasing or plentiful because we need, the, if we just rely on the physical uh, sale of records, uh, we'll be. Um, out of business very mm-hmm. shortly. I remember going to a conference in France uh, at the Medium Convention. I used to go. F- I used to go there for years. And uh, more recently, when I went, they had a they had a conference and a seminar, and it was the the title of it was, "Do record companies have a right to exist?" Hmm. I thought that was pretty ominous. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And yeah. um, I said, that that's not the handwriting on the wall. I don't know what is. Right. Uh, so companies have realized this. And interestingly enough, I won't mention the specific label, but uh, in pursuing as many areas of income-producing activity in the entertainment field as possible, some of the, the record companies' majors are now um, offering, one in particular is offering, not a record deal anymore. Four different deals at the same time. Mm. One involves a more traditional sort of recording. Uh, the other involves a merchandising deal, and a very sophisticated merchandising deal that covers retail merchandising and tour merchandising mm-hmm. with var- with a, a various percentages payable to the artist based on, um, of course, their clout. They'll have to be negotiated carefully, but... The, the company has positioned themselves so that uh, they basically can control the, that revenue stream, the merchandising revenue stream, through retail, through which they receive a much larger royalty, and then through touring, through which they, they're, they're more inclined to give the artists a larger share. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, a, that's a second deal. The other deal is a deal that is analogous to what we always call a 360, but it's a freestanding deal um, it's called the Collective, or rather Collateral Entertainment Activities Agreement, CEA ah, agreement. I saw that. Collateral okay, Entertainment. Yes. What's Collateral Entertainment? <laughs> well. Asking. 
It could be acting, film, television. Sponsorships. Sponsorships, endorsements. Mm. I mean, the sky is literally the limit. Mm-hmm. Even even things like writing a book or yes. just anything outside. And listen to this. The, the, the collateral entertainment activities agreement says if the company elects to discontinue the recording agreement, that the collateral activities it's entertainment continue. deal oh, wow. will continue. Gosh. <laughs> wow. It's a freestanding deal, but uh, as a reprieve, the companies say, well, we're going to give you an advance for signing on to the CEA agreement, mm-hmm. Collateral Entertainment Activities Agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's some enticement. And it also, from a contractual standpoint, it's, it's uh, what we call consideration or legal detriment or quid pro quo, something being given for the mm-hmm. value received. Mm-hmm. So the companies can say, well, we did pay for it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but early on, it's hard to know what the value of all those different income streams and revenue streams will be. So, if you take a five thousand dollar advance to sign a CEA agreement, mm-hmm. uh, you may regret that day. Yeah. Uh, and if you get out of your record deal and you're moving on, everything on in the CEA deal is still at the other label. Right. Um, and they're going for longer deals, right? Longer, longer deals. Terms. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Longer per- and here's something else I saw. Another deal was. And we talked about this at the uh, the the, uh, the conference uh, Monday. Companies are realizing fan club income can be substantial. Mm. So wait a minute. If an artist can have five hundred thousand fans, mm-hmm. and they charge them twenty dollars um, to join the fan club, we're talking serious revenue here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're 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 moving. We're moving into the you know the the, the millions of dollars, ten yeah. million dollars and up, and we sold uh, as I, the example I gave before is if an artist has a million fans that are willing to sign onto the fan club and get all sorts of uh, discounts, premium merchandise, and so forth, uh, inside information about what's going on with the artists, and uh, if they're willing to pay twenty dollars and there's a million of them, that's twenty million dollars, yeah, and it's very clean, easy money, uh, doesn't go through a lot of hands, it can go right into your your PayPal account. So companies have said in the contracts, well, we're going to take control of that. Hmm. Uh, we're going to control the fan clubs and the fan revenues, and we'll pay you a royalty. Wow. <laughs> now, now, one one yeah. question is, are these you, – you made the first part like it's almost like a la carte, like I'm the artist. I can choose of those three different type deals, you know, the, the traditional recording, the merch yeah. deal, or the CEA. CEA deal. CEA yeah. deal. Um, but then it also sounds like the lab, certain labels, and they're all different, right? Yes, they're, um, they certain are different. labels are, are much more pushy uh, than right. others. Like uh, our friend Aaron Van Dyne, Professor Van Dyne, was talking about a particular artist he represented mm-hmm. who um, was able to retain his publishing. But yes. overall, the label that he signed with basically said, you, you will sign this deal, and that's it. You're signing this 360 deal. Mm-hmm. And the advance was ridiculously low. Both. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if maybe it was five thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars. And this is a monster artist. Yeah. So what he didn't say is maybe the artist on purpose took a little advance because he knows he's going to get more on the back end. I don't know. But yeah. mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. interesting. I've seen uh, deals negotiated where the 360 deal or the CEA is not triggered until the artist reaches a certain stature, mm. and then then the the label will have an option to buy in at that point. Uh, and it's going to be for much more, maybe for a quarter million dollars. You know, mm-hmm. they, they can buy in at that point. I mean, they'd give a quarter million dollar advance. And yes, advance buy and buy into the CA. Yeah. And, and if the artist has achieved a certain level of uh, prominence and uh, a certain level of uh, uh, record sales or what have you, or streams or downloads or transmissions, well, at that point, that deal would be deemed ripe for uh, the next deal, which is probably a better way to go, mm-hmm. you know, to, mm-hmm. to get further out in the field, and you have a better sense of what the value will be, right? Um, and as opposed to taking a, a small advance early on, five, ten thousand dollars, and giving it all away as a new artist, yeah. very dangerous uh, mm-hmm. position to be in. Because I know, I know, Atlantic Records is structured kind of like that. Because they have uh, Dan Goldberg, who's going to be on our show mm-hmm. in about a month, um, talks about he's in, involved with the their consumer division, but also their fan club division, which you were just talking about. Um, their VIP yes, ticketing VIP. division as well. So there, there are tickets. There's there's mm-hmm. a lot of different things uh, that the labels are trying to create sort of standalone companies within their company. That's right. Where yeah. they will work with their artists and also other artists and mm-hmm. really make this a whole 
new business. And from their standpoint, they say they want to be great at this business. Right. So their pitch to you, Mr. Lawyer, representing Marconi, the artist, is we're, we're real. You can go outside and do this elsewhere, but it, it behooves you to do it with us just because we're in the family and we do it better than anybody else anyway. That's their pitch. I saw I something else. I, I saw something else. Yeah, the, these these deals are all over the lot now, and they really require careful analysis and and sometimes very creative negotiating um, to protect the interest uh, early on and later. Because one of the biggest problems with the new artists is you sign a deal like that, and then a year later you realize I've outgrown the deal. It's going to be very difficult to renegotiate the deal up to the level that it should be. Mm -hmm. you, know, you may get some concession because the company has incentive to, to work with you to, to keep the success and uh, keep you on board and keep you happy and so forth. That's the X factor when you're dealing with a human. Uh, so uh, you'll get some, you, 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 hopefully you'll get some relief and, and some concessions, but not at the same level you would if you carefully negotiate the deal early on and leave some options open, actually. And mm -hmm. I tell people, don't, don't think that 360 necessarily means that it has to stay that way. That's an offer, a proposal. Mm -hmm. And you may say, okay, uh, we're going to cut out. We negotiated a, a contract in my class, and the students cut out film revenue, television revenue uh, from, from the 360. And so I say, think, think more like a, a, a 190. <laughs> oh, 180, right? Or 180, or 190, 180, right. you know, one, uh, 140. Right. Uh, you nibble, you know, and you, and you cut it down. So you say, okay, you can have certain revenue streams. Mm -hmm. And as I said uh, Monday, and Paul uh, at uh, Sinclair right. at Atlantic also agreed, if, you, if the company's going to get involved in uh, live performance income, collecting a share of your live or retaining a share of your live performance income, it's okay to ask for more tour support mm -hmm. for the companies to get behind building this uh, this act that that you that you you've created and uh, building that fan base and then earning the the uh, income share that the company is going to take. Mm -hmm. So that'll be part of the contract when you say Absolutely. ask for more. So it'll say okay for for this a tour of X stature record company party of the first part is going to allocate a minimum of yeah X floor of that's right yeah. you get a floor amount right. And it could go up to a, a ceiling, okay. But um, and how is that recouped? Is that, Nick, yeah. we well, that's a it? very good point. We we talked about that. How's it recouped? And is it crossed? What is it crossed against? Yeah. Or uh, is it cross collateralized? In other words, can they recover those funds from record royalties? Can they recover them from publishing or mm -hmm. mechanical income, mm -hmm. which is generally a no no in the business? It has been traditionally, but if you're not careful, uh, you may find that uh, the companies can fully cross your deal and take whatever monies they've laid out for tour support or for artist development, uh, for independent promotion, mm -hmm. and take that against other income streams, which could also be dangerous because you could have a, as we looked at in class the other night, uh, you could have an income stream that is, is fairly robust. Let's say, for example, publishing is doing quite well on the mechanical side, and if that's crossed, Instead of getting a check for a quarter million on the uh, mechanical royalty side, you end up with nothing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we and in the business, they say when when your your balance is below, uh, when you haven't fully recouped, uh, your balance is below the cost. The earnings don't don't uh, equate to the cost that the company has laid out the recoupable cost. Well, then you have what we call a red balance. Mm -hmm. And companies love to tell you, well, you know, you have a red balance, and uh, we're not going to be able to do much here. <laughs> but the, right. the key, the key, the key thing to remember is the fact that you're unrecouped as an artist is not necessarily correlated to or aligned with the profitability of the project. Mm -hmm. The project can literally make uh, millions, and the way that the contract is constructed, you can still be unrecouped mm -hmm. while the company is seeing a positive uh, cash flow and profit. From the venture. Mm -hmm. One mm -hmm. last thing I'll, I'd point out, uh, you know, the, con the more recent contracts we've seen, and that is companies have also, in some instances, asked for a first right, a refusal of what we call a first look mm -hmm. for pr promoter rights to be the promoter of your concerts. Wow. Yeah. And um, in one case, the company laid out all the areas, all the territories in which they had a financial interest in 
or were connected with the promotion uh, promoter, concert mm-hmm. promoter, and the contract said you have to use our promoters uh, for your, for your, your, your in, those in those territories. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, wow. we, well, we need to use uh, WPSC Brave New Radio's public service announcements at the moment, and then we're going to come right okay. back. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so we will be back. So it's Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio WPSC 8.7 Campus of William Patterson University. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. You're going to listen to some service announcements of the public variety. When we come back, we're going to be listening to your tweets, and there will be more. And we're going to have a lot of Geneva gambling coming up, so looking forward to that. We'll be right back. Music Biz 101 and more. To Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP 88.7, Brave New Radio. We got managers, producers, record labels. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Breaking down doors here at Music Biz 101 and more. We're with the man, Dr. K, the superhero, super attorney, Carl Guthrie, who knows everything there ever was about music business law. Thank you, Carl Guthrie, once again for being here on the show, Music Biz 101 and more. Great. Pleasure. And um, could we read a couple tweets, yeah, Dr. Marconi? Yeah, I think we take some tweets, okay. though. So Geneva Gamblin, ramble away. All right. This first one is from Jeanette Elizabeth. She wants to know, what are the main points that bands should discuss when making a band agreement? That's a good point. Um, artists should have a band ab- agreement, even even if they think they're they're tot- they friends and they've known each other forever, and it's going to be great forever, and everything will be worked out by uh, just shaking hands and agreeing to things in a very informal way. Uh, invariably, we've seen those di- those sort of arrangements fall apart, and then in in the worst possible way, especially when there's success. And someone is even le- either leaving the band or uh, someone else is coming in and so forth, or they just break up altogether. What do we do with the assets? Mm-hmm. Um, that becomes a real problem. So what you have to do is, first of all, get, get counsel. Get legal counsel. Um, I can't give legal advice over the radio mm-hmm. indiscriminately. Uh, right. I c- That's we illegal, do, right? We, it's illegal. Yeah. We're doing What we're doing now is providing information. Yeah. Uh, so that you become more knowledgeable about some of the things that go on in the field and, and how you perhaps can best protect yourself. Uh, well, the first thing I have to say is get a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and when interestingly enough, when there's a band, if there's four members in the band, one lawyer can't really represent all four because that's a conflict of interest for the lawyer, mm-hmm. representing each individual in the context of the band. So that lawyer would have to, to uh, at a minimum, advise each one of the members of the band that they have a right to have their own counsel mm-hmm. to look out for their individual interest in the, in the contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so you want to cover all the bases when you do that. Uh, how is the income going to be divided up? It's going to be what, what sort of uh, business uh, vehicle are you going to use? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a partnership, which is easy but could be very dangerous because all of the liabilities and income is divided and you're, you're, you're open for Anything that happens, what what one person does, you're responsible for, and so that partnership is a is a very convenient way to go. But uh, you may want more protection in terms of the business vehicle that or form that you use. So it, it may be an LLC or, mm-hmm. or traditional corporation. These things need to be looked at very carefully. Each party can be given a certain share. There are going to be rights and responsibilities that have to be discussed. Allocation of income. And then also what happens when the band does break up. Mm-hmm. Either um, 
by consent or by voluntary withdrawal or someone being put out of the band for, for violating certain rules or regulations that the band imposes, mm-hmm. or uh, by death, mm-hmm. God forbid. Uh, so all of these things have to be looked at and, and addressed in the contract. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes the, the artists don't do that, and the law will impose um, a regulatory scheme on those those parties who are involved in that business transaction that they never intended to have ha- have happened, mm-hmm. but by default you may find yourself in a partnership, and, or you might find yourself uh, liable for something that someone else does, and as you know, there's no way out. Mm-hmm. Your personal, your home, your car, everything could be uh, caught up in in the in the, uh, the the matter at hand. If it's a personal liability m- matter, a tour bus hits someone. On the highway and the ugly accident, someone sues the band for ten million, and you're doing business as a partnership. All of your assets are going to the pot. Mm-hmm. Michael Harrington, Doctor Michael Harrington, um, was was with us uh, a mm-hmm. month or so ago. He made a point about songwriting. He said, mm-hmm. "Say three songwriters collaborate on a song, and um, ten or fifteen years later." one of the three songwriters feels that their song that they wrote was infringed upon. You know, they listen to something else, sounds like it. Um, Even if the other two don't want to go to court against the the potential infringer, they are part of this lawsuit no matter what. Is this familiar to you? So once you, if I write a song with with the five of us in the studio, we write a song together, we're, we're strapped together forever because of that one song. Yes, Congress has called that, uh, designated that a joint work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In other words, you, where you're, you're joined uh, as if it's a marriage or as if or as if the five of us bought a piece of property mm-hmm. um, or five of us bought uh, a cab, mm-hmm. you know, and um, someone would have the right to drive it, collect the income. They'd still have to count to all of us for our share of that income or that mm-hmm. revenue. If they had an accident and someone was injured, now we all might also be responsible for the liability that uh, that would occur, mm-hmm. particularly if we have no 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 formal structure or legal documents documentation as to how we intend to to conduct our business, which mm-hmm. is very dangerous. So you mm-hmm. in in any business uh, transaction, including s- starting a band and performing and so forth, you really have to look at all the legal and business concerns that would naturally arise. Address those first, so now you can breathe easy and go forward. Mm-hmm. Um, if if a lyricist and a instrumentalist they write a song together and it's deemed a joint work, the at that point the the instrumentalist can no longer take the instrumental's portion, and at a later date say I'm going to use a different lyric. I, I'm sort of working with a different singer. I like those lyrics better, the new lyrics, and so. It should be no problem because I'm not using the lyrics of the the earlier lyricist that I worked with. Uh, actually, if it's a joint work, even if you don't use one word from the original uh, song that was created, that was fused together, the lyrics and the music, you still will have to pay the uh, the original lyricist. Huh. And and the new work that you create is actually a derivative work. Yeah. It's derived right. from the first work. So right. you're going to have to get permission yes. to even change mm-hmm. it. So uh, when I point it out, it sometimes to students, they say, well, um, in the future, I'm going to write my instrumental portion separately, copyright it, and then ask the lyricists, would you like to attempt to put some lyrics to it that I can accept or reject? Leaves <laughs> <laughs> yeah. your options open. Geneva. All right, have another question from Bobby Mahoney. He wants to know if you can actually elaborate more about the no three-letter words idea that you talked about during the oh, panel sure. discussion. I said in contracts, uh, the question that had come up at that time was, um, are there any details that we sh- you should be concerned about in contracts? And I, I always point out three-letter words can be devastating. For example, the word net. A company says, okay, we're going to split the income. You're going to get 50% of the net revenues. Uh, after expenses. Well, if $100,000 is the gross revenue and the company says, well, we've had $90,000 worth of expenses, uh, unverified, 
undocumented. Mm-hmm. Um, we spent a lot of money promoting this record, a lot of money uh, doing things that administratively and so forth. And so we're going to recoup 90000 and say that the net is now 10000 So of the 100000 you'll get 5000 mm-hmm. Suppose the company said we spent all but $10 of the 100000 Well, you'll be entitled to $5 because your contract says you're entitled to 50% of the net. Mm-hmm. And so you start to look at that word net a lot differently. Mm-hmm. You say, you know, I really don't want a percentage of the net. <laughs> or I want to control how that gross <laughs> mm-hmm. is is reduced. I want verified expenses. I want documentation and so forth. And how about this? Let's put a provision in the contract that says the net cannot be less than uh, 95% of the gross. <laughs> right. Or less than 90% of the gross. So now you have a leave without that. my permission. Yeah. So you have a, t- a five to ten percent cushion, or area that you can you can work with for expenses. Beyond that, you're gonna have to go back. And uh, at that at that point, on a hundred thousand, if you say you can deduct five to ten thousand, or net that out, yeah. Well, you know you're you're fairly well protected with respect to you're gonna see maybe forty five thousand instead of five or or less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that word net becomes very important. Another three-letter word that's very important is all. The company says, you you grant us a publishing company, you make a publishing deal for uh, what you think is just your immediate catalog of the songs that you presented. And in the contract, it says we, uh, the, the publisher, will acquire the rights to all the works that you've ever written, which includes what we call back catalog, works that were written long before uh, you you made this deal. Okay. Um, the words you need to be concerned about is all. Mm-hmm. You, you you might qualify it and say, well, you can have all of the songs that I'm presenting now. <laughs> right, on a schedule. <laughs> and, and, and on a schedule, and we'll, we'll exclude all works made prior to this date or created prior to this date. Mm-hmm. If you're not careful, those, all those small words will come back to bite you. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, they, if the if company says we can... Um, control revenues from any and all sources in the entertainment field. Mm. Any and all. There's two. Any and all sources in the entertainment field. That covers everything. You say, well, what can my sponsorship income must go through the record company. My my publishing income, my uh, merchandising income. So, once again, three-letter words that you race right by, mm-hmm. and they're devastating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Joelle Filippi wants to know, what do you think is the most essential question a person should ask when thinking about getting an entertainment attorney? Does the entertainment attorney have experience in, in the area and and maybe expound upon the experience that they have, how long they've been in the field, uh, what kind of deals they're comfortable and familiar with doing, whether they work with that company in the past, Um those are the kind of questions you want to ask and, and get um, very clear answers on and give mm-hmm. you a sense of And you might want to try a couple of different attorneys and then decide which one you feel most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I always say the fact that an attorney is, is good at what they do may not be enough. The question is, are they going to be good for you? Are they going to go all out and give the, the kind of service that, that you're looking for? Mm-hmm. And do they understand what it is you're looking for? Do they, are, do they take the time to get into what it is that you're you're concerned about, or are they basically saying, "I I have no time to discuss this. Uh, I know I, I have an idea what you want. Uh, mm-hmm. We we need not go into any uh, extensive consultations or anything like that. Yeah, need, that may turn you off. Yeah, yeah, we need one that listens too. Yeah, that listens. Yeah, yeah exactly. But go on. Forgot it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, it'll come back to you. Leah wants to know, what's the most common mistake new musicians make when entering the business without a lawyer? Signing a contract that they feel is virtually harmless or is not going to create much of a problem in 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 the bigger scheme of things for their career. And it could be devastating. We've seen artists sign contracts, um, and don't be put off by the length of it. They sign a short, what appears to be a short contract, but it may tie up their publishing rights. It might tie, it might tie them exclusively to 
another party. Um, it could give a manager uh, extensive control or right to income um, where the manager has done very little to earn that income. Mm -hmm. so Many so times you see a demo that was produced by someone, and then the wording is that the producer has the right to stay with you, and you get a major yes. label contract. And, of course, first thing they want to do is re-record it with a professional. With a professional and yeah. you might want whomever, Timbaland or somebody, to do it, and you can't because you're still tired. Mm -hmm. Then the record company's got to buy this guy out, and they must just say sure. it's too much of a headache. There's too many people. Yeah, and when they buy those contracts out from uh, an art, uh, artist who has a producer in tow who's now entitled in their contract to half of the album mm -hmm. of recordings and so forth. Well, now the, the, the label has to buy out the producer and then bring their own professionals in. And in doing that, the producer is going to get a lawyer and they're going to say, okay, we want we want to override advance. We want to override royalty mm -hmm. on the entire first album, or maybe on the first three albums. Mm -hmm. So as you said, it could become a situation which is so troublesome for the label that they back out altogether. Yeah. Ariana's got an interesting one here. She mm -hmm. wants to know if you sign a contract when you hire a music business attorney. If so, how does that work? Do you sign a contract with the with the attorney? Yeah. Absolutely, a retainer agreement. And the, the attorney's either working on an hourly basis or they're, they're working on a flat fee basis or they're working on a percentage of the uh, the, the income or the, the, the earnings or the, the gross, which is brought to the table in that deal. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's flexibility in structuring it, but there definitely <laughs> should be an agreement. Cool. And and you should be able to leave the deal with the attorney at any time. Lawyers can't make you hire them and, and stay with them. Mm. Mm -hmm. right. Spoopy Mulder wants to know, when would you advise a local band get a lawyer? <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> Even if it's just an initial consultation, you're probably going to need an initial consultation with an entertainment lawyer and an entertainment accountant. Mm -hmm. So you know how to structure your finances and also how to structure your, your business dealings and make sure you don't miss anything. And you might not have a, a band agreement amongst you. You might not have uh, split sheets uh, or, or um, um, collaboration agreements amongst you as co-writers, which shows what percentage each person will, will own and control with respect to each song that was written. Mm -hmm. These become very important. So you don't want to miss any steps. If you take the consultation, the entertainment lawyer is going to ask what it is you're doing, what it is you're, 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 you're pursuing, and they'll tell you, well, these are the steps that you need to take. These are the, the precautions and the, the, the business documentation that we need to put in place uh, so that you're covered across the board. Sometimes mm -hmm. an artist will say, I'll ask an artist, uh, well, if you sign with a PRO, Performing Rights Organization, I said, sure. And I had one, one, one writer who had signed uh, as a songwriter, and uh, turns out they were, their song was used on a hit album with a, a, a prominent artist, and they received their royalties from BMI, writer royalties, and they were, they were comfortable with that. I said, have you joined as a publisher? Mm. And they had not. So the publishing royalties were sitting uh, at BMI, and once we got them as affiliated with, with BMI, they got another check for the same amount as they received uh, on the writer side. That was an example of that black box. Yes, yes. Royalty. That's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So if they got a check for 50000 as a writer and they hadn't joined as a publisher, they didn't realize that BMI puts 50 cents of each dollar in the writer's share and 50 cents in the publisher's share, you need to join on both sides of the fence mm -hmm. to become both. And setting up a publishing company is, is, is fairly easy. But you, once again, just go to a, an attorney, entertainment attorney, uh, have them file the proper documents. You join as a publisher and you collect both sides. Mm -hmm. And if you make a deal with a, a, a company like a, um, a major a publisher that's, that's in operation, well, you tell them, let's, let's see if we can make a co-publishing deal instead of a songwriter deal, which is mm -hmm. going to be more advanced. Uh, read the This is our very last question. We have about a minute left. Read okay. the second half of this tweet. All right. This comes from Valerie Marie. She wants to know possible warning signs of a bad lawyer. Possible <laughs> warning signs, inattentive, um, not, not understanding 
the concerns that you have in the deal or overlooking things which are very important that you become aware of but the lawyer is not addressing. Mm -hmm. So ask questions, constantly question uh, what's going on with your deal, have it explained to you. Mm -hmm. There have been recent um, rulings uh, from, in New Jersey in particular, from the courts that have said lawyers are responsible, and entertainment lawyers as well, for making sure that you understand every part of your contract. Mm -hmm. The lawyer is responsible for that. Mm -hmm. So if a lawyer is not taking the time to explain in detail how that contract works so that you understand it and what the rights and liabilities are, uh, they're probably not living up to and carrying out uh, their obligations as a professional. So that that's that's when a red flag goes up. Mm. Lawyer says, you don't need to know about this. I, I've taken care of it. <laughs> that's dangerous. <laughs> right. Um, and maybe can you give a 30-second answer to this? Because a lot of bands don't use lawyers, and they don't do any of this stuff we've talked about because their, their fear is they don't have any money. Yes. Or, or they already know, or they think they already know, there's no way I can afford it. Let's just wing it. Uh, what... What do you respond to that? Well, when, a, when an attorney uh, gets involved with a group or a band, an artist, they may have to make an assessment uh, where they, they, they come to the conclusion that this is a startup situation. I can either invest in it by deferring my fees or by taking a, a percentage which will be paid down the line as opposed to right now, or some sort of hybrid where you pay a smaller fee and then uh, a portion will be deferred, and then another portion will be paid by way of a percentage of what ultimately is com comes to the table over a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the, the, a good answer is don't be afraid to ask. Oh, absolutely. And don't be afraid to be creative and, and sell creative. yourself yes. to this person. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And get them involved in what you're doing. Let them listen. To, I always like to listen to the music. I like to know more about the artists as well so you can make a fair assessment of, is this something you want to get involved in? You believe that you can assist with and is something worth uh, creating a, a creative solution to the, the fees and, and, and payment of uh, legal cost. There's also legal aid for the arts. That's right. You know, it's organizations. The volunteer are, lawyers of the, the Vila uh, organization. At this point, they're all over the country. Yeah. So if you can't afford a lawyer at all, you can go to volunteer lawyers of the arts, and that's a great suggestion. All right. Mm -hmm. Steve, Steve Marconi and... Carl Guthrie, giving it up tonight. So we do need to wrap it up because it is the witching hour. So we want to thank everybody for listening to Music Biz 101 yes, and more, Bravery but, Radio. You know, we did have a competition with something called the uh, the World Series. There's something called the World Series and that's happening right now. Let's go Mets. The Republican debate. And there's a Republican so debate. Anyone Let's go Mets. We have to thank you. I know. So uh, Carl Guthrie, I think your ratings are going to be much higher than uh, both baseball and Republicans combined. Yes. So thank Let's you, Carl Guthrie. William Patterson, music uh, business attorney, law and ethics teacher, and some other school that doesn't matter. And uh, thank you so much school. for being here. Yes, my pleasure. Good luck to all of you. Yeah, law school. Well, I mean, we don't, not direct competition with us. Right, but it's still, they're, they're not William Patterson University. So anyway, thank you very much for being here and for uh, going to Seton Hall right after this. And thank you to Geneva Gamblin. Absolutely. Thank you for Bianca Russo for producing us. Always thank you, Dr. Esteban. And next week we have? What's the next week's date? The next week happens to be the fourth. Uh, the fourth, uh, I don't remember. But uh, next week we're going to have a great guest. Okay. Great guest next week. So come on back. Find us on uh, iTunes Stitcher. Here we go. No, it's really good. Yes, exactly. So thank you again. And uh, we always say to you, thank you for listening to Music Music 101 and more. And always, adios!